It takes more than great code to be a great engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, the podcast. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show where developers write in with questions and we provide answers. It really works for developers as well as the occasional bovine. Emus are last week. Mm -hmm. We just decided they weren't worth it. <laughs> we, we didn't get very good social lift from them, so <laughs> social lift. <laughs> Maybe we're yeah okay. This is our marketing strategy: find the animal demographic that has the biggest social media presence. We'll just mention mm. them in the intro, and then we'll we'll just take off. That's got to be like very small dogs. <laughs> I think you're right. I think that demographic is pretty <laughs> easily identified. Dogs. <laughs> Cats are, are, are nice, but they're they're not very, they don't share a lot, you know, so they'll just like <laughs> chuckle to themselves, but dogs will like yell to all their friends about it. Uh, we had a comment from a listener. We had an episode a while back about keeping meetings on track and Grant wrote in and said, I'm a developer slash speaker slash manager and I attend Toastmasters. One of the best things I've learned from Toastmasters is how to run a meeting right. I didn't expect to learn that, but the key of a meeting is the agenda, which allows you to identify the moment you're off schedule. It's not hard to have a meeting itinerary, and it keeps you on schedule, and everyone is expected to keep it, even junior developers. I'll toast to that. I've never been to Toastmasters, and I've heard so many people, especially around public speaking and the, the mm -hmm. tech conference circuit, talk about Toastmasters. You know that Simpsons episode where they go to the Illuminati? Or is it the Masons? Uh, it's the Masons. Yeah. that's yeah. In my head, that's what Toastmasters no, they, is like. No, they were called the Stonecutters. The Stonecutters, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I imagine the Toastmasters meetings to be a lot like those Simpsons, like Stonecutter meetings. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. Just how it is in my head. Like a cult. Uh, Yeah, that sounds pretty negative now that I say that out loud. <laughs> Thanks for telling us about your creepy cult, Grant. <laughs> i always imagine people standing up with a wine glass and then dinging it with a fork a few times and then giving a speech oh i think that's the image they're going for with the name i'm pretty sure that's deliberate <laughs> i think it worked it's built right in <laughs> um that's that's interesting someday i'll go to one and be disabused yeah. of my terrible stereotypes because i have yes, heard a lot of people will. say it, it really helped them get more comfortable speaking in public which is a valuable skill in a lot of different fields sure yeah, I've always wanted to attend. For probably 10 years, I've wanted to attend. But uh, I only do things that are easy. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll just, maybe they make house visits, house calls. <laughs> the Toastmaster <laughs> meeting is at Dave's house. <laughs> we'll like, come to you. <laughs> I was really enjoying this TV show. Uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll drop by next time it's at my house. <laughs> That idea okay. of an agenda for a meeting has, has come up. I've, I've heard that a lot. And I think, uh, I well, I don't think I've ever seen one rigidly followed ever. I have been in meetings oh, that there was yeah. a loose agenda, but I've never been in one where it was like we kept to the agenda. It always was oh, like a, yeah. a loose thesis for the meeting, and then it went wherever it went. Oh, so true. Meetings are a gas. They will expand to fill the fa the space they're given on the calendar. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like you need like an acceptance criteria or an exit criteria. It's like once we've reached this point, you may leave. <laughs> we may all leave this room. Yeah. That's, uh, I don't know. I've seen it happen once in a while. I, I Once I, I there was a program manager running a meeting at work uh, just a few weeks ago and, and she said, okay, we've met our objective. You can all have your time back. And everyone was like, 
looking at each other like what do we do (laughs) what is this i guess we (laughs) go do our other work i could see that being especially helpful for regular meetings where oh yeah otherwise they'll they'll just keep going through inertia you know oh yeah there's always more to talk about right yeah you never run out of things the meeting has always been an hour so we will be here for an hour usually an hour and five minutes yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right okay Uh, i think i'll read our first question how's that that sounds great Oh, and yes, sorry. Thanks, Grant. That was a great comment. Uh, Okay, this comes from an anonymous listener. Hi there, longtime fan of the show. Really appreciate the thought and effort you two bring to the table when answering audience questions. That was a very nice thing to say. Yeah, thank you. I'm just flexing the whole time we're recording the show. It's a lot of effort. Just like, quit your job and get into one. I'm really sweaty by the end. Yeah. Okay, let me get to the meat here. I was fortunate enough to land a job after graduation late last summer as a software engineer with a good company in an exciting field. However, after nearly a year of working here, I have yet to touch the code base of my team's applications. Instead, I have worked on what I would consider support tasks, such as continuous integration, continuous deployment, shell scripts, and documentation. I have brought up my desire to code in a one-on-one with my team lead, which resulted in promises of future development work, yet all potential tasks have either been reassigned to other senior team members or dropped altogether. While I understand that being a new developer involves paying your dues and doing the tasks no one else wants, I am at the point where I feel as though I was misled in the interview and hiring process. It is as if I am a software engineer who does not write software. Beyond the classic advice of just quit, do you have any other advice for how I should proceed? (laughs) Dang it. He's preempted oh, us. Really took the wind out of our sails there. <laughs> he or she, they don't say who they are. We don't want to presume. Yeah. Everyone can no. be in crappy jobs. <laughs> Everyone can be marginalized. <laughs> yep. Um, if you have to write bash scripts and documentation and you really want to write software, the key is to write software that writes documentation and bash scripts. You just build oh. these Byzantine castles of complexity. Like... Think about how you could write a a static type system for the English language and then do that and then type check your documentation. Or, uh, I mean, Haskell has a bunch of, like, there's this Parsec library in Haskell that's really good for parsing and and grammars. And you could write a grammar for Bash and then statically type check your Bash scripts. Oh, you could re-implement Haskell in Bash. Yeah. And and then then do that. And then self-host it after that. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. You're on track here. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, just, just no one can stop you from writing code. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just write code. Only you can stop you from writing code. (laughs) Yeah. And if anyone asks you why you haven't deployed their stuff, just say you're writing a system that will take maybe a little bit longer, but after that, it'll save a bunch of time forever. (laughs) Ooh. Alternatively, if you build enough automation, you could just stop coming to work and people won't notice. (laughs) Right? If it just keeps doing the job that you've been doing by hand. Yeah. Or you can come to work, but you just don't work. Like, you just wander the halls, just hang out at people's desks with a cup of coffee. And then when they get bored of you being <laughs> there or annoyed, go to someone else's desk. Um, that only works for extroverts, Jameson. Yeah, that's true. For I introverts, mean, you can just play solitaire. If it's if it's a tech company, you say it's an exciting company in an exciting field, that probably means they have like a ping pong table and <laughs> VR rooms. And I don't know. They have all those like developer <laughs> child toys. So you could just go hang out with those. Mm-hmm. Or, or look, don't quit your job. 
automate yourself out of a job, keep the job, keep getting paid for the job, go get another job, <laughs> get two paychecks at once. <laughs> Meanwhile, your old job, you just keep it humming along, just keep the lights on on your automation. Yeah. Boom. Y- yeah. Um, and I You've mean, come if to it, the right place. Clearly. It says it, okay. Okay. When you say exciting field, we all know the only exciting field is, is AI. So if they're <laughs> upset at you for automating your job, they're kind of being a little hypocritical. Um, and then you need to go on the offensive and automate their jobs and get them all fired and replaced <laughs> by your automation. And, and then you're really dog fooding it there. <laughs> uh, you're like, Look, you need to shut up or I'm going to automate you out of the job too. <laughs> you just keep this quiet, buddy. <laughs> nice job that can't be done by a computer you got there. It'd be a shame <laughs> if something were to happen to it. <laughs> so I worked at a company... Uh, Eh, I won't. I won't name it because I'm going to say a lot of bad things about them. Um, I worked at a company. Do not open Jameson's LinkedIn profile right now. I don't even know if it's on there, so you, you might not even find it. Uh, I worked sure. at a company that preyed on um, technical students, so they weren't graduates. They were all students still of a local university, computer science or IT or uh, the thing that was formerly called ISIS before that became a terrorist organization. Um, I think they call it oh, information right. systems now. Oh, uh, I wondered about that. Yeah, those poor people that told everyone they studied ISIS. Um, anyways, <laughs> all these students that didn't have a ton of experience, they, they couldn't really get jobs anywhere, but they were really interested in programming. And they just like plastered the school with flyers and attacked all the career fairs, dangling this promise in front of them that you can come work here learn the system, pay your dues a little bit, and then you'll be able to program and work on this this software. And there were programmers there. You could see that they existed and potentially feel like you could work your way up there. But the whole time I was there, I never saw anyone. So I, I worked there under that promise, right? And there were a bunch of other people there at the same time under the same promise. No one ever made it from non-developer to developer though. Um, oh. They all either quit or were there for just years and years and never, ever wrote a line of code. They were all in support oh. or data entry. Oh. Uh, I don't think any of them even moved to sales. It was all support or data entry. Oh, man. So that's <sighs> the worst case where I don't know if it was deliberate or not. I suspect it was deliberate, but uh, that can definitely happen. It can definitely be a bait and switch. Um, where the job you think you are working towards will never come and they're just taking advantage of your your optimism to use you for cheap labor. Mm-hmm. I hope that is not the case, but but I tell that story to say that I have seen it. Um, this place was not a good company in an exciting field, though. <laughs> it, it was a terrible company in a horrible field. Um, so hopefully it's not the same. <laughs> I work at a terrible company in a horrible field. However, <laughs> <laughs> we are hiring. <laughs> oh, that reminds oh, me that of, of Dan Liu's article about um, the market for programmers. He has this spiel in it about how um, bad bad teams are always hiring because people always quit their teams. So, like, if you just take a random job, he proposes that the odds are it's at a crappy team in a bad company. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. I think I read that. Yeah. It's Uh, it's suddenly not super related, but very interesting. And I will link it. Okay.
Oh man. So I've so, told scary yeah. stories. What do you have, Dave? How can we help this person? Um, well, okay. I'm thinking back over my job history and I'm trying to think if I was ever trapped in a situation where I had, where I felt like I had to pay my dues, where something was withheld from me. And I haven't, I don't feel like I've been in a situation where the company expected me to earn a particular status to be able to work on something that I shouldn't be allowed to work on until they perceive that I've paid my dues. You know what I mean? Really? I mean, I believe yeah, you, like, but pretty, pretty much most of the companies I've worked for have been small enough that they didn't really have the luxury, you know, of, of being able to hire an engineer, paying them an engineer salary and then saying, write our docs. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, so this wrote, this listener already said that they, they talked to their technical lead, in fact, multiple times and the technical lead made promises, but it's not happening. And that's the point where I would probably give them one more chance and say, you're making it hard for me to work here. Like I want to work on this stuff, but you're giving me crap jobs and I'm, you're making it hard to stay. Yeah. You know? And a year basically an ultimatum. A year doesn't feel like that. That feels like a reasonable amount of time to, to wait. I mean, especially if more it's a large company that, that there's, there's kind of bureaucracy and it's harder to, things are less flexible. It's harder to move around. So I, I can see there being some ramp up, like we need to have this person learn the systems, do helpful work in a low risk way. Sure. But a year feels like a long time to ramp up. <laughs> yes, it really does. And if so you, I, if, oh, go ahead. I was going to say in those conversations, you might want to start by saying, why, why am I not working on these things? Instead of saying, I want to, and them saying, okay, we will. You should say why and make them give you an explanation because it's incongruous to think that they hired you and then a year later they're not really having you do the things that you thought you were being hired for. So I think they should have to answer that question. Yeah. If you don't want to quit your job, um, if it's a large enough company, you, you might be able to move teams a lot easier than mm -hmm. uh, quit a, quit your job and get a new one. Well, it might not be easier. But it would allow you to work in the exciting field at the good company still, because it might really just be the team. Maybe maybe everyone on the team is very senior except you, and so there's this weird mm -hmm. like non-deliberate power dynamic thing going on where they have this low status work. Someone has to do it. Everyone else is air quotes too important, which mm -hmm. I think is dumb and wrong. But I could see how that might happen inadvertently. And sure. if, if you go to a team that's more deliberate about how they assign work or just more uh, diverse in terms of experience levels, then that problem might resolve itself also. It's kind of like yeah. a, a quit your job light. <laughs> quit your team and get a new one. Quit your team. <laughs> I wouldn't let this go much longer, though, if I were you. you know, I, I mean, if you are like two, three years out of college and you still really haven't written any software, you're setting yourself up for long-term failure, I think. Well, it's going to be hard to recover. I don't know if they they didn't say where they worked, but if it's like one of those big name tech companies, they'll they'll be fine. <laughs> Doesn't matter if you wrote True. shell scripts at Apple. If you say I worked at Apple, then mm -hmm. whatever, so you'll get a bunch of job offers, and then you'll go That's figure out how to actually do it. They're like, oh, we need someone with Apple shell script experience. Yeah, well, you don't say you only wrote shell scripts. Oh, right. So your next challenge might be how to market your otherwise awful <laughs> experience. <laughs> um. One more thing I want to talk about here is this idea, I, I even mentioned it, of low status work, including things like documentation. Um, 
which I think is how it's generally perceived. I, I wish that's not how it was perceived because uh, I feel like documentation is usually undervalued. I don't think it's low value. Mm-hmm. People just don't like doing it, so they dump it on others. But I've benefited enormously from both reading documentation and writing documentation. Um, I don't think that's a thing. My answer isn't like, take the stuff you hate and make yourself like it. Um, but it's more <laughs> about this general idea in software that documentation is is not important or not the cool part of writing software. Like there's these brave intrepid explorers on the front lines building things and then these like lowly peasants that come after and document it. I think that leads to um, crappy documentation and worse software. Maybe that's a case you could make is you could say as a... Mm. I would do a lot better at my documentation job if I were actually implementing the system I was documenting. Or or like if this is so important, the team should be doing it. I shouldn't be I'm I'm the least experienced person here and documentation should be shared among the team so that the people who know more about how it works write the documentation and yeah. Yeah, maybe that is. And that's a good when answer. your team lead goes, Oh, young one, <laughs> it's actually not important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, hmm. Tough call, man. But I, I would not let this one go much longer. Like, I, I'm a very impatient developer. If I get stuck in a job that I really dislike, especially if it's not what was sold to me during the interview process, I will not stick around that long. You know, after a year, I'm going to start looking. That's just me. Yeah. And I know Jameson is too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a job, so I can't quit one. That's true. <laughs> I I think. All right. I mean, yeah. There's. It's hard to know <laughs> where the balance yeah. is, but I think you're well within your rights to to at least bring it up more forcefully and try and change your change how your team works or change your team or mm-hmm. change mm-hmm. your life. Yep. But I would get I would get pretty aggressive about it. Now, there really shouldn't be this thing. This pay your dues. You know, there. We we talk so much about code reviews and unit tests and continuous integration. All of these things are safety nets to prevent less experienced developers, well, frankly, and experienced developers, but nevertheless, they make it a safe place for someone without experience to come in and, and actually work on the system and be productive. So it's like, if you're not willing to use your safety net to let your new developers contribute, then what's the point? You know? So... This just shouldn't. This situation should not exist, in my in my opinion. Hmm. There may be some details I don't know, but <laughs> nah, probably not. Nah, probably, prob- probably not. <laughs> All right, have we answered the question? Question answered. All right, I will read the next question. This is from an anonymous listener. I've been told the secret to not burning out regularly is to have hobbies that aren't computer related. As the typical nerd, I've always enjoyed spending time around computers growing up and had few friends. Now that I'm older, I find that my hobbies all revolve around computers and programming. I want to get into other things because spending 40 hours a week programming makes it a lot less enjoyable as a hobby. What are your hobbies outside of computers and how did you pick them? That is a great question on so many levels. Mm -hmm. I love this question. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, do you, do you believe this question asker about the secret to not burning out? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Uh, do hobbies help you not burn out? I mean, I guess at some level, yes, but I think there are more important things that prevent burnout. Hmm. Like if you have a terrible, demanding, high stress job, no amount of 
uh, knitting is going to help you not burn out of that job. <laughs> I work a hundred hours a week. And instead of sleeping, the rest of my time goes into hobbies and it really helps prevent burnout. <laughs> I have a good work hobby balance. <laughs> um, I, I, I do think hobby having uh, diverse hobbies is a good idea though. And maybe it can contribute to avoiding burnout. I think it helps um, to have a life outside of work. I think hobbies outside of work help me recharge and get perspective mm-hmm. on the the magnitude of my problems and how I can still be a happy, complete person, even if things at work are going crappily. Mm-hmm. I also get a lot of benefit from not working. I think I work better <laughs> when I when I take a lot of time away from computers and away from technical things because my brain is just churning away on stuff on the back end. Uh, have you seen that hammock-driven development talk by Rich Hickey? Uh, no, I haven't. It's a good one. It's ba- his, okay. his, the thesis is basically like your brain thinks about stuff while your consciousness is not thinking about stuff. And if you just go chill in a hammock for a while, um, after approaching some hard problem, you might come mm-hmm. up with the solution a lot quicker when you go to attack it next. I think that applies to a very specific class of problems. Yeah. You know, like many of the problems we solve, it's like, I need to figure out how to use this API no amount of hammocking is going to like give you the That's serendipitous true. moment where you have to read the API doc. That's true, but but tricky problems yes. that you don't know how to solve. I think those oh, benefit yeah, absolutely. enormously. Absolutely. Or or even like things that you do, but I, I've thought of better ways to do stuff in the shower plenty of times, you know. Oh yeah, so so often. In fact, yeah, shower showering so, is a great hobby. It's um, <laughs> That's on the list. I it's kind of these non-linear things where it's not just like do you follow follow this step of the this sequence of steps. Um yeah. anyways, I believe this question asker. I think I think they're onto something and I also think that okay. having hobbies outside of the computer just makes you a better rounded person in general. So you're saying regardless of the impact it has on your work, it's yeah, well, still a good idea. I, I want to be careful here because I do know some people who they they just love programming the most and they program at work and then they go home and program at home. And it's so it's it's not like, <laughs> I, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I'm laughing because I know this one really good friend of mine, programmer, and I actually interviewed and hired him at a job over 10 years ago uh, before I knew him. And then I read on his resume at the bottom, it said, I do rock climbing and mountain biking and, and a few other outdoor activities. And then after knowing him for five years, I said, hey, you're, I know you pretty well now. And your resume said mountain biking and rock climbing. I don't think you've ever done that. <laughs> he goes, um, I did them once. I just put them on there because my <laughs> some guidance counselor <laughs> said that I would look more well-rounded. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> he was just a programmer. Like 100% of his free time was programming. <laughs> yeah. And there are people like that. Um and there's also this some pressure from these like super broy uh, tech leaders who are like, you need passion, man. You have to live and breathe code. And like they what what they mean when they say that usually is I want someone who is so excited about the work that I don't have to pay them very much or treat them very well. Um, mm-hmm. But but like being passionate about code and doing it as a hobby is is great. If that's your thing, you shouldn't feel pressure to do it. I think it can help you a lot in the beginning of your career because there's a lot to learn and you you're competing a little not competing but it's you have to show value in a different way i think and that's one of the ways but uh the the point of this all is like 
if your thing is programming and that's your jam and that's what you want to do when you get home from work, I, I don't know that you should feel you should explore other stuff, but you shouldn't feel pressure to not program because it's like shameful or something. I don't know. Do, yeah. do the stuff that you're interested in. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. So what hobbies do you have, Jameson? What hobbies do I have? So I was writing down a list of hobbies and I realized they're almost all entirely solitary. Um, I play the guitar every once in a while, but not for people. <laughs> I play it for myself. Uh, I play video games. I Some of them are online, so I'm playing with other people. Well, I don't know if you could call them people. Some of them, some of the, <laughs> some of the things I interact with are pretty vile. Uh, other entities, but sometimes they're just single player games. Um, okay. I snowboard a lot, but I don't always go with friends. I go by myself a lot. Um, oh, interesting. I, I ride a motorcycle and usually that's by myself. Sometimes my wife will go with me. Uh, I go to the gym a lot. I enjoy that a lot and I will go weeks or months without saying a word to anyone else in the gym and like my greatest fear is to have someone come up and start talking to me at the gym and expect <laughs> me to like exercise with them like no <laughs> no that's not why i'm here go away hey, could you could you spot me bro <laughs> yeah i mean i do because that's etiquette but like people some people have gym buddies you know and they like pump each other up and and be like let's do four thousand sets of bicep curls bro yeah and like no no i go i go to be alone in my in my zen alone with my with my weights yep and just, and just, just me and gravity just barbells and chalk and and dubstep it's the only place i listen <laughs> to dubstep uh oh, i yeah. really like reading which is also very solitary um mm -hmm. but partially because i have realized i have so many solitary hobbies i have started playing dungeons and dragons recently which is super fun and it's it's like intensely social um, mm -hmm. more than most things I've ever done in my life um, because you're like improving with a group of people. So oh, you really so have much to be of vulnerable. Your brain is Let like, your guard down. How is like, emu I don't know. How is this other person's character going to react to this? Or what should I do in this situation to help the party? Or if you're the dungeon master, oh. like how can I help them tell an interesting story? What do they, what do they think is an interesting story? Like, what do they want out of this? How can I support that? So that's that's my one attempt to try and do something more, less less solitary, I guess. That's awesome. How has that been for you, getting less solitary? Um, Good. I mean, it also involves a lot of solitary time reading stuff about it. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it's actually interesting. This is a, a huge tangent, but it feels like when I first got into programming where there's this world and culture and there's... There's just, you can kind of glimpse a little piece of it and know that there's this huge expanse beyond what you can see um, of, mm -hmm. of different programming languages or fields of software development or kinds of developers or like there's just so much out there. Um, and D&D &D feels a little bit that same way because I'm, I'm like, I don't know, I've read fantasy my whole life. So I'm, I know a lot of the tropes, but the game is like 40 or 50 years old and people have been writing and talking about how they do it that whole time. So there's just this mm -hmm. huge body of knowledge out there to explore, which I find cool. fascinating. That's awesome. Well, shall I share my hobbies? Please do. Well, I like Haskell, 
Scheme. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> That's actually not true. I've never written Haskell. Really? So I just say that to sound smart. Well, hanging up. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, okay, so there was a here my hobby. So I was into model airplanes for quite a while, for about five or six years. Oh, cool. Super fun. But I always flew with friends. I never went alone. So that's interesting counterpoint to Jameson. Hmm. Um, then I kind of faded away from model aviation and I got into road biking, which I'm still into. But I only go on long bike rides with a group. I hate riding alone. Hmm. So there you go. Uh, I sing. I sing in a church choir, which I do in a group, never alone. <laughs> um, I, I like to go to the theater, but also like like uh, musicals and opera. Well, I haven't done opera, but um, musicals, uh, Broadway style stuff. I love doing that, and I never go alone. And uh, I also consider my children a hobby. <laughs> I guess they're more like a, more like a full time job. But I mean, so much of my time gets sunk into taking care of and tending children. Yeah. But anyway, um. So yeah, that's very interesting how your hobbies are all solitary and mine are all group oriented. Yeah. I think I'm an introvert. I think you are an extrovert. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I didn't mention any <sighs> technical stuff. I, I like hanging out with developers. I'll go to meetups or conferences or sure, all, that, sure. all that stuff. There's a bunch of technical things in there, but who cares about that? Yeah, that's not, I think that was exactly the point of this, this question. Yeah. So yeah. I think as an engineer, um, many, so Jameson, I'm so, I was surprised in your list of hobbies, there was nothing involving building anything like, or fixing things. I don't know. Do do you like do maintenance on your motorcycle or snowboard? <laughs> no, no or? I'm garbage at that. No, I okay. break stuff when I try and fix stuff on my okay. motorcycle. Like I, a lot of people I knew who are into model aviation, they liked it because it was like building things, but with a totally different set of rules from programming. So mm. you could still get your building outlet, but it's like now you have to understand lift and drag and center of gravity and Bernoulli's principle and thrust and all that stuff. And it, it, it was a new way to build things under totally different constraints, which was really fun for me. So I think I think I kind of think about weightlifting like that a little bit. But mm-hmm. instead of building a a an object, you're like building your skills and your your muscles and stuff. Because mm-hmm. there's a ton of technique in it, um, and and then there's also a lot of like mythology that you have to decipher to figure <laughs> out what's just like some dude with good genes making stuff up and what's yeah. what will work for you, a regular human. Yeah. Um. But but there's this there's also this sense of progression. I think that's one of my favorite things about it is like. If you keep doing mm-hmm. it and you keep trying and you you figure out eating and and technique and stuff, numbers will go up. Like it just yeah. happens. It's very measurable. Which yeah, I've had the same experience. It's appealing. Not with weightlifting though. With biking. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh biking and with model airplanes. You know, like model airplanes, it's like you you kinda have to you move up to more difficult to fly and more difficult to build. Um, yeah. but that they do cooler things, you know. And then with biking, it's like you're you, the road biking world is obsessed with measurement. So it's like watt meters and um, uh, cadence and heart rate and hmm. speed and, and uh, uh, total perceived effort. No, anyway, just so many numbers you can collect on your computer and analyze and crunch them. And then you can try to move one of those numbers up by the way you, uh, by the way you train. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So maybe that's, I'm trying to think of like a common thread that would help a, de- a currently a developer to, um, find a hobby that might appeal to their developer senses. Here is the common thread with all my hobbies. 
uh, I tried them and liked them. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't have a thesis of how I pick hobbies. It's just stuff I try and enjoy. Have there been any, any hobbies you've tried and not liked? Uh, stuff I've tried and not liked. I tried to get into board games and I just, I just can't, I don't know. Like those fancy board games you see at board mm-hmm. game shops, not, not Monopoly. I think they look pretty and I enjoy the idea of them. And especially the idea of having a group of friends that you play board games with, but I just tried a few times and was like, this is boring. I don't know. Okay. Um, which is funny because no, no that's very similar to, to D&D. And that's true. And many engineers like playing yeah. board games. Yeah, they love them, which is great. They're just That's because they're good. They're good engineers. <laughs> they're just not my... <laughs> they're just better than me. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm at... The, I'm I'm old enough that I'm starting to stagnate in life, so I don't try a bunch of stuff as much. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because so, you've already sampled out all the things that you don't like. So well, yeah, my bother? my time is so full. Like I gotta kick out stuff to try new things, and that's scary. Oh, so that reminds me, there's a new hobby that I have as of the last two or three years, which is traveling to crazy new places that I've never been. Like, what do you mean? You just like roll the dice and then buy a plane ticket, or? No, yeah, I roll the dice, find a conference that I can speak at, and we'll pay for my travel, oh, okay. <laughs> and then go. <laughs> um, I love it. I love visiting new places. Uh, I love being a tourist and like checking out uh, historical stuff, nature stuff, and just you know visiting new places, whether by road or by airplane. Um, that can be really really fun. Huh. Which I also do with people, never alone. So how? How can this be helpful for a question asker? I feel like we're just kind of rambling about our lives, which is fascinating to me, me talking about myself. I I could keep going for a long time. (laughs) But how does this help anyone else? I think the answer is it helps just as much as any of our shows help. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How did I find my hobbies? I don't know. Some of them are things... That I did when I was younger. So just my friends started doing them. Mm-hmm. D&D was, uh, I've, I've like bounced off it a couple times. Like I played non-D&D, but some other role-playing game with a friend years ago. And then I really loved it, but it was like, I could never do that. That was the last bastion of nerdiness in my head. Like I buy comic <laughs> books. I am, I am comfortable with the idea of being nerdy, but Dungeons and Dragons was a, a step too far for some <laughs> that crosses reason. the line. <laughs> yeah, the the bro in my head was like nerd. Uh, but then I started. I listened to some podcasts about it. And I don't know. I just kind of like approached it asymptotically over time. <laughs> Always reaching for it, but never quite achieving. <laughs> yeah, and then you cross the line. Yeah, I think I think that is a hobby. That's an example of a thing that I'm comfortable enough as a person now to be like i don't i don't know this sounds cool and i'm gonna do it i don't care if it looks nerdy um so i probably wouldn't have done it at 25 for example because i would have been too worried about appearing nerdy Mm -hmm. all right maybe people should tweet in with their hobbies that they uh enjoy as developers what they like to do that's not a computer related hobby i i remembered my point dave oh dungeons and dragons i just decided one day you know what we're going to do this. And then I asked people in the Utah JS community, just a local group that I hang out with a lot, who wants to come play? And uh, the people that came were a mixture of acquaintances, friends, and people I had never met before. 
and it's it was cool to have a group that I could just ask like that. Um, that feels like the core of a way to find hobbies with other people is if you hang out in groups at all for technical things, those people all do things besides programs. So you could kind of see what they do and I don't know, just ask them like, what are you doing this weekend? Or cool. what, do, what do people like to do for fun? And you'll get some ideas and you might be able to approach things that you could join other people in doing that way. I, awesome. I, I do think um, I've tried to avoid generalizing or, or forcing recommendations on other people. I think one generalization I would make is some kind of physical activity in some form that makes you happy is pretty much good for everybody, I think. like Yeah, you kind of get two birds with one stone on that one. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's nice using your body when your job revolves around your mind. That's that's mm-hmm. what I really enjoy is uh, I just sit in a chair and think all day and I'm just a brain with fingers for so much of my day. <laughs> and when I go to the gym, I, I have to like turn that brain off and then I'm like a calf or a thigh. I don't know. I'm just like all these body parts together. It's, it's so different from what I do all day. And it, I think <laughs> it adds richness to my life. So let me ask you this. When you're working out, are you able to make insights uh, like you do when you're in the showers, for example, about programming? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. For, that never happens to me when I'm when I'm exercising. Really? Like my, my like higher reasoning skills just completely shut down. I can barely do arithmetic. Huh. You know, like I'll, it will take me minutes. I'll be like, okay, I'm traveling at 18 miles an hour. <laughs> I have two miles left. How long till I get home? And I'll get home before I solve the problem. <laughs> it's a way to make the time pass faster. So <laughs> when uh, when I work out, I, ju- I usually have periods of, of multiple minutes between sets when I'm resting. Uh-huh. Um, okay. So in that time, sometimes I'll be listening to a podcast. Uh, I actually read books at the gym sometimes. And I look like a giant weirdo because <laughs> I'm like <laughs> at the squat rack with a book in my hand. With um, a dungeon master's guide, <laughs> yeah, I haven't pulled that out yet, but I will. <laughs> I dare week. you. I, I will. dare you. Yeah. Um, and then I just find the largest man there and go up to him and stare him down with the D- dungeon master's guide <laughs> in my hand. Like, what? But yeah, but but sometimes I'll just like take notes on my phone about problems I've been thinking about. Um, that that period of like physical activity, and then there's this kind of cool down in between. Sometimes I'm too wiped out to think much if I'm if I'm going mm-hmm. hard in the paint, but this built-in cycle say? of if I'm going hard in the paint. Can you explain that metaphor? Uh, it's from basketball. That's all I know. Oh, oh, it's a basketball metaphor. I know that one. Yeah, I I hate basketball and I'm garbage at it. But the paint refers to the painted area under the basket that's commonly referred to as the key. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that's not the key. I think the key is that half circle, but I'm well out of my what? depth here. No, 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 no. It's the whole thing uh, up to the foul line. It's the rectangle. Is it? Yeah, because you can only spend three seconds in the key if you're on offense before you get a uh, foul. I believe. And they, call, and they say three seconds in the paint also. You are right. Look, Jameson, I literally tried out for the school basketball team twice. <laughs> I literally was forced by my childhood friends to play 21 so they could win every game. That's my <laughs> basketball cred. Okay. Okay. Have we helped this person? I think all? what we have done is we have demonstrated that we are 
two of the most boring developers you will ever oh meet. my gosh i just can't believe it's been yet, so long talking about my happy. own hobbies yeah is there anything yeah, i loved boring? it i Personally, I enjoyed listening to your hobbies. Okay, good. I, I feel like I understand you better. That, that, that insight that you just are constantly seeking solitude just really helps me understand you. Yeah. Good. And we're so different in that way. Yeah. Like, I hate, I like being alone and reading a book occasionally, but for my hobbies, I, I don't know why I just have to be with someone. Like, do you go to movie theaters alone? Oh, no, no. Okay, okay, you haven't crossed that line. No, I don't. Eat. I don't like go to a restaurant by myself. Would you go to an amusement park by yourself? No, no, that sounds okay. Horrible. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So you are human, mostly human. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have? Uh, I would like one roller coaster ticket, please. I can't think of a <laughs> worse phrase. <laughs> the chair next to you is empty. <laughs> All right. Well. I guess that question has been sort of pretty much answered from yeah. our own feeble experience. We have hobbies. I think I think they make me a better developer. And since I want that to be true, I assume that that is true of your hobbies, Dave. Absolutely. Okay. It is absolutely. The only reason I have hobbies is so I can be a better developer with more passion. Yeah. Life <laughs> is optimized to be a I better I work developer. hard. I play hard so that I can work hard. You let your kids know that you had kids so that you could be a better developer. That's right. Listen. Son, son I, look you, I had you. <laughs> all I see is lines of code. <laughs> I know I'm reading you a story about a bunny, but really it's all about the tortoise and hare algorithm for finding cycles in a linked list. This is to teach me patience so that I will be a better team member. <laughs> At work. Yeah. I'm in deep. <laughs> Oh, that is the saddest thing. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Question okay. has been answered. Good question luck. answered. Jam- Jameson, where can people go if they want us to answer their questions? They can go to softskills.audio. That is our website. And there's a link prominently displayed on the website to a Google form. You can fill out the form with as much or as little details you would like about your question. Too much. I think the, the questions have gotten uh, short enough to read. For a while, we were getting... Um, multiple paragraphs and that can be hard to skim through because we don't prepare enough (laughs) we usually pull open the questions (laughs) look at them for a few minutes before the show and pick the pick questions so things that we can digest in that amount of time are more likely to get read things with things with emojis tend to get our attention if (laughs) dear jameson and dave fire fire 100 100 explosion <laughs> car peach. should i quit my job <laughs> like yeah it sounds like you need to talk to your manager i think that's the answer um yeah send us your questions we love reading them we learn from reading them and we love answering them yep thanks very much all right we will catch you next week the end <laughs>